This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking leadership to the next level. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember, leaders make things happen. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to today's show. You're listening to episode 29. I'm very excited about this particular show today. I'm going to pull back the curtain on my own failures. I'm going to try to keep this positive and in a good light, but I've learned my greatest leadership lessons through my own failures in my 30 years in leadership. What I'm going to do is list seven of the failures that I consider probably my greatest mistakes that uh, I wish I had um, not made or corrected, and I tried to correct them. They have nothing to do with my book, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make. This is sort of a totally different idea of taking off of failures and what I learned from each one of these. This weekend, uh, as I'm recording this, tomorrow morning I'm flying to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Beautiful place. I'm doing a weekend retreat for uh, the student leadership of Columbia International University. Shout out to my great friends at CIU. That's where I went to college, and I'm on the board of trustees there. What a great school, CIU. I got the weekend to have five lessons with these young, aspiring men and women who were all uh, in leadership as students at the college and in the uh, grad school there. And as I'm preparing to go and share with them these five leadership lessons, I, I'm going to uh, show a picture of um, myself and my wife, Donna, the day that we graduated from CIU back in the 1970s, and then a picture of us today. And I so wish for them that they could fill in the gap and learn from my mistakes. And, you know, in, in some ways you can't. It's like when you tell your children, you know, I, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. I want you to learn so you can avoid some of the pain. I do think that's possible. If that wasn't possible, I wouldn't be uh, having this podcast or writing books about leadership because I do think we who are older and seasoned have a lot to share with the younger generations about leadership. And that's, that's what this show is about. But I'm very cognizant of the fact that we oftentimes in life uh, learn our greatest lessons through that pain and misery of failure. So I'd like to suggest as I launch into this podcast today that you do two things. Number one, Make a list of your greatest mistakes that you have done and what you've learned from those mistakes. I don't know if you journal on paper or on your computer or your tablet, but the way we learn in life is to reflect. Reflection is a powerful learning tool. So I'd like to encourage you to make a list, and maybe my podcast today will inspire you about some of your own mistakes, but it's good to make a list of those great mistakes you made. You don't want to wallow in them with regret, but you just want to say, this is what I did wrong, and this is what I learned going forward into the future. As I look back at my career, a pact that I've made with myself and with God is I'm not going to whine and commiserate about, I wish I could do it over or live with regrets, the things I wish I'd had not done or things I wish I had done. You know, that kind of living in the past is just not constructive, but it is good to reflect on things you've learned from your past mistakes. So that's what I'm going to do. So number one, make that list of those great mistakes that you've made and as you look to the past and, and reflect on what have I learned from those 
going forward. This is not about trying to relive the past or get depressed about the past, but it's about learning and reflection. Number two, listen carefully to what I'm going to share with you today and try to avoid these common failures. These are these are big time. I'm going to be vulnerable. These are big time. So let's dive right in. Number one, hiring people without enough research. Now, I did a podcast on this, uh, podcast number 16, recruiting the right people to your team. I devoted a whole podcast to the topic of how do you make sure you recruit the right people. But I just want to mention in this show today that one of the big things that I did is I sometimes hired people without enough research out of desperation, out of being worn down, uh, out of being perhaps mesmerized by a person's personality and not doing enough, you know, objective research. Hiring can sometimes get very subjective. And I've learned through the years that it needs to be more objective than subjective. And we can't just believe what people say about themselves. We have to dig under the hood and get references and get secondary references and ask the right questions of the people that uh, they used to work for. And, and follow your gut instinct. And, and also, as I mentioned in podcast 16 on uh, learning to hire the right people on your team, uh, it's good to have a group interview and have more than just yourself make that decision, if at all possible. I learned through the years that, uh, especially women's intuition, my wife was a great sounding board on hiring um, people and certain people to avoid. My assistant, Joyce, who worked for me for over 15 years, she was an awesome person to give me that feminine perspective that sometimes a man can just not see. So the first big failure, I did hire some people without enough research. And uh, guess what happened? They didn't work out. And it's always miserable when you hire somebody and within a few months you realize you'd made a mistake. The most painful thing is to fire people that you yourself hired and believed in. And uh, it's, it's just so painful. So the first mistake that I learned from is to do that research as much as possible and to get as many people involved. Don't hire out of desperation. You know, it's better to leave a position empty for a while than to put the wrong person into that because, you know, it's pretty easy to hire people and pretty difficult to fire people. Last week, I spoke at a school district in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, actually in Spring Hill, Tennessee, uh, Summit High School. Shout out to you folks there. And we were talking about how in the education world and in the government world, how difficult it is to let people go. It takes a couple of years of a very, very long Gated, difficult process to what I call out-process people. In certain industries, it's very difficult. All the more reason to be patient and careful and hire the right people. Number two, avoiding conflict. As I mentioned in podcast number 21, Care Enough to Confront, boy, you know, I'm a conflict avoider. And when I was speaking at this uh, Summit High School last week in Tennessee, I asked the folks I was speaking about this topic of conflict um, and avoiding conflict. And I said, how many of you are naturally conflict avoiders? Way over half the people in the room raised their hands. And this was a group of school administrators and teachers. Really, I consider every teacher a leader. Most of them were conflict avoiders. 
And uh, it's a huge problem. One of the things that I regret is that I avoided conflict at times. And I would highly encourage you to listen to Podcast 21 on Caring Enough to Confront because I share in there how uh, what happens if you don't confront. And I'll just give you a few tips right now. <laughs> the longer, you know, if you try to suppress conflict by avoiding it. It gets worse. It builds up. And eventually uh, you will either have an explosion or you'll have a division or people will just quit and leave. They'll be demoralized. But I found as the leader, I could not afford the luxury of avoiding conflict. And uh, I did at times put off that talk of going into the danger zone. And I wish I hadn't put it off. But naturally, it's uh, hard for me, and I know it's why it's hard for me, because of the kind of background I grew up in and my family. And uh, I understand why I'm a conflict avoider, but I've learned through the years to go into that danger zone. And especially as the leader, you have to go into the danger zone. You have to do it right. And I share in Podcast 21 how to do it properly. But avoiding conflict, a big mistake leaders make, don't do it. Go into the danger zone. Learn how to do it appropriately because there are right and wrong ways. Now, I'm going to go on to number three because it sort of builds right on the back of number two, uh, and that's avoiding confrontation. The results of not going into the danger zone are, are terrible, and the confrontation is when you Oftentimes, uh, when I talk about avoiding conflict, it's probably a conflict between me and somebody else on the staff, and I need to resolve this conflict, and sometimes it can escalate. My own son mentioned to me, who, who works here in town, he uh, had a major conflict with his boss the other day, and it was through email. Now, I, I told my son, son, have I taught you nothing? I told, I've taught you for a long time. You cannot resolve conflict through email. It only makes matters worse. But what happened was he got a very inflammatory condemning email sent to him from his one of his supervisors. So even if you yourself believe and you know that uh, you can't resolve conflict through email, sometimes it's inflicted upon you and how do you respond? And uh, Andrew told me, and I said, so what'd you do? He says, well, I took a long, long time to try to write a diplomatic response. And I looked at him like, son, you know, that's not going to work. And he said, yeah, yeah, I took a long time to write it and I never sent it because I realized there's no way I could make it sound right or make it work right. And finally, thankfully, the boss called me and we worked it out over the phone. That's the way you deal with conflict. It's got to be personal. If you can at all possibly do it, make that face-to-face. -face. But if you can't do FaceTime, then pick up the phone or do it via Skype. You cannot resolve conflict through email. Okay, so that was uh, avoiding conflict. The third one was avoiding confrontation. Now, that usually has to do oftentimes not between you and somebody else, but where you see several of your staff members are uh, not getting along. They're not playing nice. They are having conflicts with one another. And you as the leader cannot allow that to continue and fester. So you have to confront the situation. Many times I had to confront my staff and say, you, Bob, need to go to Susan and you two need to sit down and work it out. 
I don't want to get in the middle of this conversation, but if I have to, I will. And at times I did have to, where I had to make Bob and Susan come into my office and I sat there and made them talk to each other. And I thought to to myself, why do I have to do that? You know, I'm a busy person and why can't, you know, all we are saying is give peace a chance. People, why can't you just get along? But I found that human nature does not always get along. So at times, I just let those things go. I travel a lot in my work, and sometimes I'd be gone for long periods of time. And before I left, I thought, you know, I really should deal with that. I should confront that situation before I leave town because it's festering, and it's probably going to get worse while I'm gone. But uh, I'm just not in the mood. I got too much pressure, too much going on to get ready. And, And I would leave, and sure enough, while I was gone, things would get worse. Don't avoid those confrontations. Again, be diplomatic. Uh, listen to Podcast 21 because I'll give you a lot of great tips on how to how to do it right and not to become off. Uh, don't come off as a super obnoxious leader. I mean, there's a lot of power issues involved in con- conflict and confrontation. So there are right and wrong ways to resolve conflict and to confront your staff. Be careful especially if you're dealing with people of the opposite sex. Uh, Me as a man, I can remember a few times when I confronted uh, females who reported directly to me, and I realized how powerful my words were male to female. Now, not all women would be this way. I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but I'm if you happen to have listened to our Valentine's Day podcast that Donna and I did on, on marriage, I mentioned the fact that sometimes a man can say something to another man and not think much of it, that it's harsh. But if you can say the same thing to a woman, it can come off very harsh. And I, I had a couple of situations where I realized the women who reported to me had had very tough backgrounds in their family with their own fathers. And I was the, I remember one person, I was the first male authority figure in this woman's life other than her dad. And when I confronted her about some things, as gracious as I tried to be, it was completely devastating to her. And I, I and I began to realize it was wrapped up in this whole thing about her a view of authority in general. And so you have to be careful. So that was number three. Number one, hiring people without enough research. Number two, avoiding conflict. Number three, avoiding confrontation. And number four, now this is going off in a very different direction. This is what I call holding the reins too loosely. Boy, I bet some of you out there have the problem that I have. I've often talked about control freaks. You know, blessed are the control freaks for they shall inhibit the earth (laughs) and how much I hate the control freaks and I'm not about control. But there is the opposite end of this continuum, which is also a problem. And that's the problem that I have, holding the reins too loosely. You see, I love to hire great people, hire stars and set them loose and set them free and empower them to do great things. Well, that sounds great and it is great, but you still have the responsibility to hold people accountable. I had one man that worked for me, my finance guy, and he worked for me for about six years. And a new employee came in that also worked for me. And the new guy asked my finance guy, well, what's it like to work for Hans as your boss, your supervisor? And this guy told the new guy, well, there's good news and bad news. The best thing about Hans is that he gives you so much freedom to do your job the way you think it needs to be done. But you know the worst thing about Hans? He gives you so much freedom. 
<laughs> and what was he saying by that? He was saying he wanted more accountability, more contact. I'm not a babysitter. I'm not a hand holder. I don't have a huge gift of compassion. I just like to hire great people and turn them loose. So holding the reins too loosely got me into big trouble. Leading and managing are both keys to effective leadership. Now, I want to read you a quote from the Harvard Business Review by Robert Sutton, who conducted extensive research on effective leadership. And here's what he said. And I'll put this on my show notes. This this is a great quote about the balance between not being a control freak, but not holding the reins too loosely. The distinction between leading and managing is a subject of ongoing debate. Leading is often characterized as the more glamorous job. Leaders guide, influence, and inspire their people, while managers implement ideas and get things done. But leaders who focus exclusively on coming up with the big, vague ideas for others to implement can become disconnected from their team or organization. Avoid being a big-picture-only leader. Boy, is that the mistake that I made. Make decisions and develop strategies that take into account the real-world constraints of cost and time. Stay involved with the details of implementation. Sure, it's easy to come up with ideas and tell others to make them so, but you also need to roll up your sleeves and understand what it takes to make those ideas a reality. Amen and amen. That, again, is Robert Sutton in the Harvard Business Review. That is so true. And I learned that I sometimes just made the horrible mistake of leaving everybody on autopilot, and I would be gone for extended time. Of course, my board of directors was asking me to take a very public role, uh, do a lot of fundraising, speaking, traveling, constituency development. And so I tried to hire great people that could run the operation while I was out doing the big picture stuff. Got me into big trouble because the people who were running the operation needed my help. They needed me to be there more. And sometimes they, uh, at one point, they began to conflict with one another and only I could resolve that conflict and, and the things that were going wrong and going south. And frankly, I was the captain of the ship, but at times I had my hand off the wheel too long. Very, very delicate balance. So be careful not to hold the reins too loosely. Okay, number five, appointing the wrong people into leadership. Bad people hire more pet people that make things spin out of control. Uh, appointing the wrong people into leadership is kind of akin to that first one about hiring people without enough research. But that was just generally about any position in an organization. This is about people on your leadership team. When you appoint the wrong people to your leadership team, wrong people hire wrong people. We had a situation where uh, we had a person who was a vice president in our organization who I realized was just the wrong fit. And then this person hired a very key, another position under that person that was very critical to the operation and the future of our enterprise. And I tried to empower people. When people report to me, I, I like to give them the authority to hire their own great team. So if I've got a great team, they're going to hire a great team under them. But I saw this happen and I doubted it and I questioned it, but I didn't override this person's decision to hire this other person. And it was a disaster. And that's where I learned, you know, if you've got the wrong people on your team, 
on your leadership bus, they will in turn hire the wrong people under them and the thing will get out of control. If you want a tight corporate culture that embodies your values and beliefs and really is all that you dream your place to be, the key is to have the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus and that every person on that leadership team is the right person. I was just with a leader the other day who said, Hans, man, I know one of the people on my leadership team is the wrong person. And every time I try to go anywhere, that person chimes up and blocks our direction. And I said, well, why don't you get rid of that person? He said, well, I'm trying, but it's not easy. Well, yeah, I I hear that, but try harder and make it happen. Uh, Appointing the wrong people on the leadership team If you've done it and I've done it, you know, what do you do about it? Deal with it as quickly as possible. I also took too long at times to fire people. That's not one of my seven points today, but I did find that uh, sometimes I I remember one time there was a person I really needed to let go and I, it's a high level person and I was talking to my board about it and they were saying, Hans, when we leave this meeting today, you need to go out there and do it today. Well, I didn't. I took several months to process this thing because I care a lot. I'm not saying the board doesn't care about people, but ah, I just want to give this person one more chance, one more chance, one more chance. And it was stupid because it didn't work out. Eventually, I had to let that person go. And what I concluded was they were right. I should have gone out that day and done what they told me to do. And I should have submitted to the wisdom of the board, appointing the wrong people into the leadership team. Okay, number six underestimating the power of relationship. I don't need to say a lot about this. It's the old adage, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. It's such an important principle. And at times, I've bec- I was a leader. I'm a high D in the disc test, super action-oriented. And my love language is acts of service, and it spills over to my work. So I just do the work, and I do stuff for people. Remember I said a few breaths back in this podcast that I don't have a big compassion gift? And, well, that's come back to haunt me because sometimes people would say, Hans, we just don't feel like you care. You know, you you care about the work, but we're not sure you care about us as people who are doing the work. And I, I learned that I needed to spend more time learning to develop that care piece and and just wandering around the building and sitting down with people and say, how you doing? How's your family? How are your children? Man, people love that. It's hard for me. It doesn't come natural. It's that old principle, putting people work over paperwork. It's so, so important. Underestimating the power of relationship was one of the big failures that I learned throughout my career. And I'm still working on that. Well, finally, drum roll number seven. on um, the list of the seven greatest failures and what I learned from them. Number seven, ignoring my own blind spots. Emotional intelligence and building better feedback systems on my team. I'm actually going to do a whole show here in a few weeks on emotional intelligence and the power of the feedback loop. And I'm going to have a special guest, Henry Deneen, who is the president of GEM, a great organization. And uh, Henry's doing his doctoral dissertation on emotional intelligence in the workplace and on the leadership team and great, great stuff. I want to read you a great quote by John Ortberg. And he ta- he's a great author, uh, written amazing books, and uh, he talks about the fact that we need to be truth tellers. Here's what he says, quote, uh, this is actually from a sermon that he gave, and I'll give you the, the where you can find this, but he said, every one of us needs a few people to tell us the truth about our hearts and souls. 
We all have weak spots and blind spots that we cannot navigate on our own. We need someone to remind us of our deepest aspirations and values. We need someone to warn us when we are getting off track. We need someone to help us question our motives and examine our consciences. We need someone to perform spiritual surgery on us when our hearts get hard and our vision gets dim. We need a few truth tellers in our lives. He also goes on to say, we all need people who see our specks of sawdust, people we trust who have to the best of their ability removed the planks in their eyes so that they can see the specks of sawdust in our eyes that we are blinded to. We need someone who can see our blind spots. We all have blind spots in life, things we are oblivious to, but are so obvious to the people around us. You know, that happened to me, and uh, it's it was painful in my career when I had some people confront me about big blind spots, and I got hurt. I got defensive, but I realized later I just hadn't built up enough regular uh, systems in our leadership team so that we can all be emotionally intelligent and in touch with our blind spots and where it doesn't get to the point where things go bad and you have to confront. Again, that's such a powerful topic. I'm going to do a special podcast just on that topic, but I hope you will take the time to write down some of your perhaps big failures that you've seen in the past and and not regrets about them, but what can you draw learning from them for the future? Remember, you can find the directory to all my podcasts at HansFenzel.com on the podcast tab. And I would so appreciate a great review on iTunes. And if you would tweet about it, that would be cool. Thank you so much. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership.